As a long-time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Doing press, you're doing yeah, press as we speak. That's exactly. I don't know. Are we press? I guess we're press. We're press. Um, you're, you're something else. Uh, yes, I like to are, think we so. are indeed something else. I went to yeah, something I, I, a couple of weeks ago. It was a screening of, uh, you know, it was a potential guest or something. It was a guest film. And I went to the screening actually at a theater, which we don't do a lot these days. And I get there and they're like, yeah, are you press? And I was like, no, no, no. Oh, yeah, I guess <laughs> so. I guess I <laughs> get better seats. <laughs> yeah, well, no, they're only like, but I was like on the list, and, you know, it was very. I, I'm so honored to be on here. I'm a big fan of you guys, so it's uh, it's uh, it's great. Yeah, this Hello, is fun. Thanks. Yeah, I, oh, thank you. I um, did you I, I, did you did you catch uh, Joaquin's episode a couple months ago? Or? I I did because he. I mean, I usually I'm uh, I'm I mean, he's my best friend. I love him. He's. I was about to say. I thought you were about to say I hate him, so I didn't. <laughs> But I, I'm kind of, I, I, I don't read and listen to all these interviews, you know. It's, right. uh, but, uh, but I, I did that one, and I'm glad I'm, I'm going to try not to repeat everything he said, you know. Since <laughs> we, are, we are such good friends and have grown up since our late teens, watching some a lot of the same movies and have the same references and just oh, fun. Uh, so. So we should, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm not trying. I'll try not to say exactly the same things that he did. This is The Movies That Made Me with your hosts, Josh Olson and Joe Dante. So Eskel, Eskel has a new movie. Yes, Eskel. Well, we're, we're talking to Eskel. Which, which occasionally should... coincides with people showing up on our show. Sometimes <laughs> it does. not that often, you'd be surprised. Uh, also, Oscar nominee first for writing um, one of my favorite movies of, of last year. Although I guess technically, is it this year? Is it coming? I don't even know. I, it was nominated for last year. Uh, worst person in the world. Uh, he co-wrote the script with our previous guest, Joaquin Trier. And he's got a new movie out, which um, is it safe to say? Uh, do you mind if I say is absolutely nothing like worst person in the world? <laughs> that is uh, probably correct. Yes, and it, it co-ops uh, the, it co-ops the title of one of my favorite movies, The Innocence. Uh, yes, uh, yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> um, but it's uh, uh, very dark. Very, uh, it's a disturbing. It's a kids' movie. <laughs> well, no, it's a movie with kids in it. That's, That's a kid's, a kid's, kid's movie. <laughs> if I say if I say it's a boxing movie, that doesn't mean it's just for boxers. I mean it's got boxers in it, right? Yeah, I think there's a lot of people who wouldn't want to bring their kids yep. to see this particular picture. But um, probably not. Don't come on know, our show and expect us to. Yeah, we're we're gonna we're gonna tell people that, we're gonna tell people with kids to stay away from your. But movie. having 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 worked with kids myself, and I I, I know <laughs> that it can be very challenging. Uh, here you've got a picture where there's hardly a scene. Uh, where there aren't kids in the picture, and they, and and we're not talking teenagers except for one. We're talking from mainly you know much younger. Oh, and, they're, they're young. They're they're between seven and just turned eleven. So what was it? What was what was your secret? What was your secret of getting them to do the, the what are obviously very impressive performances? I I think like I mean there's many things we did, but I think the main thing was the casting. And to have an open casting, and that I, I ended up changing the sex or ethnicity of all four kids just to find the best kids. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the reasons you see a lot of bad child acting is that you cast an adult, a star, mm-hmm. and then you need to find a younger version of that actor, right. or you need to find credible kids for that actor, and suddenly you have such a limited choice of, of, of good kids. Mm-hmm. And then uh, that means, oh, we'll make it work with this one, you know? And you had another one probably that doesn't look nothing like the adult who would just give you magical stuff every day, but you choose the one with blonde hair. 
because uh, if not, you wouldn't think it was a credible family. And then you will end up like struggling every day on set, trying to make it work. And well, I think that and, was our, our thing. Just find the kids first, then find the adults. Particularly, and, and particularly yeah. though, the, the, you know, there's, there's strictures on how long children can work. And, you know, so you That's can't true, do like yeah. a, a normal day like you would with actors. And, and in, in, in TV sitcoms, they would always fix it so that there was a whole lot of stuff with the parents. So when the kids were done, they would be able to have scenes with the mother and father and they would talk about stuff and the kids would be off, you know, in school or, or have gone home. But this movie is not like that. These kids are, are front and center for the entire picture. Yeah, there's, there's probably like five shots in the movie without any kids, you know, they're, wow. they're always there. But sometimes we did like, uh, we stacked them. We started with one kid and shot and let and he or she could go home and then we ended with another kid just just to prolong the days a bit but it was uh it's a pain uh to to work with those kind of schedules and and the kid had such fun on set they didn't want to go home you know uh, so so we but we had to of course because of those restrictions but i think we can work a little longer in norway um, probably and and, and you know you've got you've got a a, a young teenage girl uh in the picture who is playing an, an autistic uh person no she was 11 you just think she's older because we're always the camera's always on oh, wow. uh, on the height of the kids and she's the tallest one so people think she's big but she just turned 11 when we started it was amazingly her. convincing yeah yeah she was she was and that that was it uh, goes back to my point of i mean i, I had written the autistic nonverbal character as a 14 year old boy, because I thought I have to go a little higher in the age range to find someone who can pull that complicated performance off. Right. And since we were just looking for interesting kids, there were this 10 year old girl at the casting who kind of zoning out and, and in their own world while waiting. And the casting director had this, intuition of let's let's just test her out and see what happens and she was amazing you know and if i just had kept on looking for a 14 year old boy i would never have found her and i wouldn't have had that amazing performance in the movie so it's uh staying open like that for a long time was what made it possible for us especially in norway where there's not that many movies and television shows being made so there's there are no professional child actors so you have to start like mm. at zero to to and and find them you know get them in there see many people wow um yeah no it's it's uh it's an it's an impressive work and it's interesting you said you're talking about casting we'll we'll, we'll stop talking about your work in a minute because that's we we hate doing that and i'm sh i'm sure you're tired of it <laughs> but just it occurs to me too that um you know joaquin was talking about renata uh, from worst person in the world and the fact that you know you worked with her but she was not at all a star and and uh, just it seems that like casting the right person is something that both of you guys um have in common uh is that is that sort of forced on you by the fact that you're in norway or is it something you've talked about with him or i just i mean i i think it's something i mean i learned and joachim learned by doing mistakes in film school you know if you cast the wrong person you're just regretting it all the time it doesn't have to be a bad actor just a bad the wrong choice for the role right. uh, and and uh, i think it's it just makes your life so much easier i mean and and uh, I, and people say oh you're so great working with actors they might say and they, I, I don't know i know i mean the kids i don't know if i'm good at working with them i'm just good at sticking in there until i find someone Right. that works no it's true and, if you cast uh, the right people you uh, don't have to be that good working with them right yeah <laughs> that's kind of brilliant um well let's let's get into uh because we had a lot of fun with with joaquin and uh, it's what we do but i'd be very interested in sort of getting a sense of the kind of movies you have inspired you along the way made you who you are um what's uh like what's what's your i don't know do you want to just sort of pick one and jump into it do you want to talk about your sort of general aesthetic of what you like is there one well, that's, I mean, there's no general aesthetic of what I like. I mean, I, I go through faces. I love a lot. I love cinema. You know, that's why I, I mean, I, I was kind of a VHS kid in school, just mm. uh, having a lot of, I just love watching movies. And I, I went to the cinema, I watched films, and I just loved it. And just suddenly the thought crept in my head, 
someone makes these things, you know, it's, uh, I, can I do that? Is that possible? And uh, I didn't have any, like my family didn't, weren't in pictures or in anything artistic and everything. So it just felt like a dream in a way, but I, I just wanted to do that. And, and so, so all my, my movie making thing, it, it, it comes from a love of cinema. You know, that's why I love a, a, a podcast like this because you, it's so full of love for films and, and, trying to talk about movies that are a little bit overlooked and that mean are meaningful and great. And I, I love that, you know, it's uh, so it's hard to, I mean, you can do a podcast like people and do it like a top 10 and yeah. you will end up like everyone talking about Godfather two and, uh, and uh, <laughs> you know, and, and, and that's great. But I feel you should also talk about those movies that don't get noticed that much, which I feel you do a lot. Yeah, no, we like to get in between those cracks. It's, yeah, and, and and I wanted to. I mean, I, I thought a lot about making a list and sending to you guys, and uh, and uh, I, and I can't. I'm not sure which one I ended up putting on it uh, because I went through. Oh, it should be really meaningful, but it should also be something a little bit like no one, like not everyone shows, and and, and I can't really remember, except <laughs> for like the very obvious choice of the Breakfast Club. I remember I put that on right. Okay, uh, which is. Uh, I think the first time I saw a movie that I thought like, well, this really takes young people seriously. It's, uh, it's just, uh, I, I remember, I, I must have been 11 when I saw it. And, and my thing with movies was also, always just, it's a better place to be. You know? uh, and even that movie, I think, was like, oh, I wish I had these problems. <laughs> I, I wish I had these complicated problems that these kids have and the way they express them and they look so cool, you know, so it had that aspect, but it's also, I felt, you know, it, it, it was a gateway drug to Bergman, you know, it, it oh, really, it, it, okay. Uh. <laughs> it takes their character seriously. It gives them a moment to express it verbally and, it, and they are, and it feels true. You know, it's very well written. I think as a, as a piece, it holds up. I saw it with my son quite recently and I think it holds up uh, a lot and and I think John Hughes and the US cinema and I find that funny is that I think I discovered Bergman through Breakfast Club and and the new wave through like Ferris Bueller's Day Off you know it's full of of Godard and Truffaut and that fun and uh, it just it's it's uh, you see that even in those like uh, kids, youth movies, you have that uh, dialogue with European cinema. And I, and I love that when you see that there's no, there's no snobbism there. You know, you just take the good idea where it is. You just enjoy whatever is exploring something and having fun with cinema right. and the form. And, and I feel like, yeah, John Hughes, he must be huge on Godard and he must love Bergman. And, and he still makes these iconic high school movies, you know, that, uh, but people still talk about them, you know, they're still there. I'm, they're I'm interested in how you made, how you made that connection. I'm assuming when you were 11, you didn't see the breakfast club and go, this makes me want to watch Bergman films, but how, Oh no. no. <laughs> but at what point did that kind of connection start to appear to you? It, it, it came when I, I kind of revisited after I, I thought I left those movies behind because I have, yeah, I, I started to go to the Cinematheque. I saw these like serious movies. I went to film school in France and I watched Bergman with French subtitles and I felt special <laughs> because the French people didn't get all this, every, all the dialogue because uh, I understood Swedish and they didn't. <laughs> and, uh, and then suddenly when I revisited, I saw those movies again, I, I, I felt at home in them, you know? And, um, and the same with... Uh, when I watched Godard, the thing of like addressing the camera and breaking the fourth wall, I mean, Matthew Broderick did that, you know? Right. It wasn't new to me, you know? It, yeah. uh, I'd seen that, and, and I would recognize some of the uh, homages that, uh, that Hughes had put in there. So there was very, it was very clear to me, and I enjoyed that because that made things more coherent to me. It doesn't mean that uh, you have to leave behind the movies you loved young just because right. you... Get, get other tastes uh, or the taste of something different later. And uh, yeah, I, and I remember also like I did later, I, I just had this huge uh, moment when I watched Trust by Hal Hartley. Oh. Uh, and it just, wow, what a movie. It was so, 
that you could be stylized in that way and you could have dialogue repeating sort of poetically and having these cool iconic characters and and then suddenly there uh, a few years later was like a Godard 80s retrospective and I saw oh Hal Hartley has seen a lot of this, you know, like oh, yeah. that style and that. And, and so it went again. It was that thing where the European and the US and the independent scene there watching those. And it, I, I, just, I just love that. You, uh, I feel cinema feeding up uh, off on other filmmakers in a very positive way. Yeah, no, I mean, it's always my big argument for, you know, um, um, keeping up with what's going on and, and keeping up with what's been is, mm. is, uh, you know, you can either put it in sort of very um, sort of thoughtful academic romantic terms or, you know, or like if that's not going to work for you, there's a lot of stuff you can steal. <laughs> yes. You know? Yes. There's a lot is. of great stuff you can crib that a lot of people don't know about. And um, that's I'm, the thing. I, I say that too. Um, when I do some, I, I'm kind of surprised because everything's so available now. But yeah. when I sometimes when I go to a film school, I talk to film students and some of them haven't seen anything from before Fight Club, you know? It's, yep. it's like, a, 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 and I go, and don't you know you can get ideas for free? You know, you, you go back there, I mean, you might <laughs> yes. not even like the movie, but see what they tried out, see what Godard did with sound, see what, you know, and, and just uh, just be inspired and and, uh, and, and use it. And, and people will think you're being original. You probably are, because when you steal something, you make it your own, you know? Yeah, so, no, exactly. Right? I'm really interested in um, uh, because I I love Hal Hartley and I sort of discovered those movies early on when they were uh, first starting to come out. Where uh, were they showing in Norway? Were they on TV? Were you getting on video? Were they showing it? It was a very small uh, indie distributor in that released uh, Trust in the cinemas Mm. in uh, in Norway. So I, me and a friend, we were I think we were the only people in the audience. And, uh, and I remember writing to that distributor, asking for a poster. And she said, well, yeah, we have one, but they, they, we messed up in the printing, so it doesn't look any good. And they sent me one, and it, they really messed it up. It looked terrible. <laughs> uh, but, that, but they had any money to like print another one. Oh, no. <laughs> but uh, but I, yeah, I so appreciate it that they did that. And, and I think after Trust, they released a couple of his others, Simple Man and uh, mm-hmm. uh, Amateur as well. Yeah, so, oh, I love Amateur. And then, I, of course, I went back and I saw Unbelievable Truth and, uh, on uh, buying it VHS sent from England or something, which uh, I sometimes could afford. It was so expensive. But uh, yeah, so it uh, it's great when like these distributors really they know it's not going to work. You know, they yeah. know it's not going to be a big movie, but it just they just feel a responsibility to communicate that love. And and Hal Hartley was such an important director, don't you think? I mean, I mean, oh. uh, and he's still yeah. making movies. I, I tried to participate on like the crowdfunding of his latest feature, but it was delayed because of pandemic or something. But that's right. Yep. He he's uh, he should have a revival. He should like do they should do like retrospectives in cinematics and. I mean, and the '90s are are in fashion now, so it's yeah. still timely. It's not it's not dated in any meaningful way, and it still it's still 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 fresh. Yeah, yeah. And I he is he is online, and I'm always happy to sort of hype him. We'd love to have him on the show, uh, but he is online, and he does sort of. Uh, they've been doing restorations of his early films as well, and kind of box sets. And I always donate, and it's it always feels good. I mean, um, the one I love that people, I guess, more and more people are starting to discover because he did restore it is uh, Surviving Desire. Did you ever see that one? The Yes, it's like an you, hour you long know. thing. I think he did for PBS. It it was an inspiration for worst person in the world. Really? Yeah, I we absolutely hundred percent believe that. That makes sense. We, yes, we tried uh, to have sort of a reference. She works in a bookstore, right? And she keeps asking, "Do you need any help? Do you need any help?" Yeah, uh, and it's it sounds like a cry for help. You know the way mm-hmm. she says it, and and uh, and she feels so lost. And, yeah. and we we tried to find a, a moment to have something like that, but it didn't really fit. But she still works in the bookstore, and, and I think that's because of that movie. Well, you also you have that great moment where everything freezes, which is kind of feels like a a, a relative to one of my favorite scenes in the movie is the the dance scene in in that where he's just he's had his first kiss with a girl, and he's just walking down an alley, 
and he starts doing a kind of Temptations O'Day's OJ's dance move. Yeah, and he jumps on that gate that opens. And these and, widows yeah. stand up and start dancing with him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we discussed that as well because we wanted that kind of musical aspect yeah. towards person in the world. We didn't quite get to the point where we want we could have someone breaking into song or dancing, but we had that moment you were referencing when time stood still, which yeah. uh, which is our closest to a musical moment. Yeah. Yeah, that's such a great moment. Oh, I love, I love that there's a connection there. That's terrific. Um, cool. Let's, let's. What else? What else? Did you have my list, or do you? Yeah. Oh, I do. Yeah, we're pretending we don't. But uh, do you want to talk? Uh, it's going to be one of those Joes. I'll have to, I'll have to prompt him. How about that uh, Evil no, Dead no. Two? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. You, you know, uh, I had a huge kind of horror and splatter face, and I just loved. Uh, uh, Sam Raimi's movie, the early Peter Jackson movies, and then I, I, oh, yeah. I love, and I think you know, like uh, like Gremlins, you know, the the, the uh, earlier uh, that the fact that you could have something that's scary and funny, you know, and you could uh, uh, and Evil Dead for me when I saw that one, we're like, wow, this is slapstick. The way that uh, Bruce Campbell has this fight with his hand and the way he plays it, and it's yeah. so funny. It's so well acted. It's so cool. And, and what I think I got from those mo- movies was also that movie making seemed more accessible. You know, if you watch, if you watch Godfather 2, if you watch the Kubrick movies, if you watch Antonioni, yes. right. you're just sitting there and like, oh, I can't. Uh, do I that. can never do that. <laughs> <laughs> but you watch Evil Dead and you say, yeah, let's go. <laughs> let's get a camera. You know, it's. Uh, and you have that freedom. That's why I referenced uh, Gremlins, not because that has the same do-it-yourself quality, but it has that freedom of, of just changing tones when you feel like it, you know? yeah. uh, which I feel is uh, kind of a, uh, like the, that's your personality as a filmmaker is, is expressed to doing that, you know? not being true to the genre, but just being going wherever you feel like and hope that if you're true to yourself, some people will also enjoy it and, and, and tag along for the ride. If you can get it past the front office, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's, that's, I guess, where uh, being uh, European maybe is easier sometimes. Do you, you have that kind of auteur thing that uh, you're expected to do your thing? Well, they I don't. don't they don't uh, like changing tones very much at the studios. They, uh, oh, yeah. it, it, it scares them. Oh. <laughs> much like breaking the fourth wall also scares them. Um, so they, they they prefer everything to be more or less cut and dried in the sort of same manner as their previous ninety two pictures. Um, so when you try to break away from that, you it, you ha- in order to assert your own personality, you have to you have to fight with them. You know, and uh, sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. But uh, I've been lucky that I've I've won more often than I've lost. Yeah, you, but, you feel, but, and, and you make successes as well. It should people should learn from that. It's uh, uh, and, and that's what I people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Joe, don't you feel? I mean, I I do, but you know, I feel like it's gotten. I hate to say anything's easier in our business because nothing's fucking easy. But it does seem to me that stuff like that is more accepted now in kind of mainstream movies, and I mean, obviously because of the fact that people like you and a lot of others pushed hard to do that. But I think you can get away with things now that you couldn't even. I think that's ago. true. I think that's yeah. largely true. They're standing on your shoulders, my friend. Yeah. And I'm, they're heavy. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I'd love to jump. God, there's, there's a, there's a few here that I just loved. I mean, it's a wonderful list, uh, uh, but you know, the getaway, uh, I don't think we've talked much about the getaway. I guess we're not. I guess we're talking about the original and not the remake. Huh? Oh, definitely. Uh, <laughs> yes, I, yes, yes, yes. Although that'd be uh, interesting if somebody came on. I expect someday, if we keep doing this long enough, we'll get some young filmmaker who comes in and doesn't, un, doesn't, he's know, that a, doesn't know that it was a remake. It's a remake. <laughs> no, but, but isn't the, the getaway a wonderful? I, 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 I mean, I. Uh, I get nostalgic, even though I wasn't watching that when it came out, obviously, that a time when that was a mainstream movie, mm-hmm. you know, and, and when you see the opening of The Getaway, and I think it was like, I think Sam Peckinpahar and, and Steve McQueen had like a failure making a very personal movie about the rodeo 
called Junior Bonner or, Junior Bonner. or something. Yeah, yeah, uh, and good and film. They, oh, yeah, which is a good film. And they, but it didn't work commercial. And it's like, yeah. oh, we're gonna do one for them. Yeah. And the one for them is the getaway, you know, yeah. which is uh, which is uh, amazing. The uh, the first fifteen minutes is this abstract kind of Alain Rene montage of the prison machines and Steve McQueen like underacting the way he can, just being uh, thoughtful, and and you feel the impression of being in prison with kind of documentary footage of being yeah. in prison, and, and and you just feel it building and building and building, even though he doesn't act it at all, you know. And then through the montage and the sound and everything, the moment he tells his wife, "You have to get me out of there. Do everything." to get me out of there, you feel it. And that's the motivation for the character for the whole movie. And Steve McQueen has done no express acting. It's just the filmmaking, the editing, the sound design, the structure. And it's almost completely abstract, but it's one of the greatest character introductions I know of. And I, I show it to people just to say, you can do this, you know? Did you know? And people don't know. <laughs> you can do that and everyone understands it. Everyone feels it. It's not. It's not uh, exclusive or or like too sophisticated. It's sophisticated, yeah. but it communicates and it's wonderful. And and the getaway is just. Uh, I, I love that movie, and I uh, and it also has like the very efficient, like what it settles into more like a thriller, normal kind of uh, movie with a very efficient Walter Hill. Uh, say, yeah, we got to credit uh, Walter because uh, yeah. And, and then I think when, when they have that great set piece where they are trapped inside that garbage container and, uh, mm -hmm. and, and, and in, dumped into the garbage truck and they started to get squeezed. I think, well, George Lucas must have seen that. You know, that's Star Wars. <laughs> you know, tell you, this yeah, movie has so much uh, like great stuff in it. And it's still, from at least in Norway, no one mentioned it. It's, uh, and I, I, I think I also mentioned the Limey by Steven Soderbergh. Yes, mm -hmm. yes. Uh, because I, I feel that's a movie that takes kind of that energy of the opening of of, uh, of the getaway and, of course, a little bit of Point Blank that's inspired also by the French, like the LRNA movies, and, and just uh, make something that's so abstract and so beautiful, but, uh, but still very relatable because it's that cool revenge genre and, and uh, it has that uh, yeah that wonderful energy of just like i'm gonna get him you know yeah <laughs> i, I love that film so him. much uh -huh. and i know that i mean one of the beauties of soderbergh is that he has just consistently done what he wants to do and followed his own thing but there was that period of the back-to-back -back of uh out of sight followed by the limey I just thought, yeah. oh my God, he's just going to be making movies for me for the rest of my life. And this is all I need. <laughs> and of course he didn't, but that's fine. That's fine. Yeah, yeah. He, at least he gave show. us that. Yeah. Yeah. That movie's just amazing. And uh, um, it also, just as a, a there, there's a fantastic uh, commentary track with Lem Dobbs, the writer, and Soderbergh, who had worked together before and are clearly friends. Have you ever listened to it? Because it's, I, I, I did. I, 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 I'm not a big fan of commentary tracks, but I'm with it. Was Great. Yeah, that that's a small handful of ones. To, yep. Yeah. Lem Dobb, he, 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 he really, he, he digs in there and like uh, critiques Soderbergh for some of his choices. They fight. Uh, the, they yeah. fight. <laughs> <laughs> I still remember, I mean, as a screenwriter, this spoke to me. There's the, uh, he talks about the scene where um, Terrence Stamp gets beaten up and thrown out of that building by those guys, turns around, goes back inside, and the camera stays outside. And Lem is really miffed because he cites, a, you know, some New York Times critic, I think, for talking about it as a piece of great, great direction. <laughs> and, and he then reads from the script. <laughs> this is where the line is. The camera stays outside like an obedient dog waiting for its master. And he's like, it's in the script. And Soderbergh goes, then go direct your own fucking movie. <laughs> and they just bicker. But it's, it's beautiful and funny and warm. And um, yeah, but the, the structure of that movie. That must have been so yeah. much fun to edit. Once you yeah, I think so. Of, yeah, having to tell the story in narrative sequence and uh, uh, just glorious. Yep, it's I, classic. It's a classic. It is. Uh, it is. 
<laughs> I can talk about the library all day. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> um, let's let's talk. So here here's one that I often I've gone back to a couple of times, and I'm actually a bigger fan of this director than a lot of people are. Um, I think he gets short shrift, but I've never been able to connect to the hunger. And and you wanted to talk about that. I'd love to hear what you have to say about that because well, you can bring the hung, around. Well, Tony Scott is. I, I mean. I, I'm, I'm say no, it, say it. I mean, I, I would, I wouldn't uh, like bring down Ridley Scott because uh, he's done like some ma masterpieces, you know. But like for consistent, fun, entertaining, pushing the envelope movies, Tony Scott has delivered like every time almost. It's I, yeah. I, I have so much fun with his movies, and they they are really ambitious formally uh, and they have great performances and they are stylish and they are cool and and the hunger for me is one of the coolest movies ever i i think i just the casting when you have catherine Deneuve, you have sure. david bowie and you have susan Sarandon, right and yes. you are have the opening montage again I, i'm a sucker you can see that now you open a movie with kind of a cool montage thing. I'm I'm sold. You know, I, I love that. <laughs> and and this has the the Bauhaus track, uh, Bela Lugosi's dead pumping, and you have the nightclub, and you intercut with the uh, with the monkeys. Uh, the, uh, it's just it's just so so cool. And uh, and I love the style of it, and I love the some of the ideas of it. I feel are really interesting there's a wonderful scene where i mean the, it's a vampire movie uh and uh and uh, david bowie's character and katrina character have been a couple for a couple of hundred years mm -hmm. and suddenly he starts aging uh and there's this great scene when he's in the waiting room where susan works and and he's asking when can i see him or her i can't remember and, and then he waits and he ages maybe 20 years, you know? So, yeah. so suddenly there's this older guy coming and like, you said I could get in and, and you see he's, I mean, that it's such a good idea. The, the fact that he has that aging process in that moment. And then now it's just a, it's very, uh, it's just a, like a cool, great movie. Again, with that style of editing that I love, you know, that's been kind of a, uh yeah uh i think we talked about with the getaway and the limey and the hunger you you have that as well in, in a very interesting way that creates like meanings and and uh, uh and connections that you could never do with a more traditional conventional uh filmmaking language yeah maybe that it's it's the least it, it's sort of all, all everything you talk about i'm like yeah oh i love that too i love that it, it's the fact that it's sort of i think it's the least narrative driven of his movies are the one least concerned with a compelling narrative because I remember it's sort of like it doesn't quite get where it's going for me and and now nah, maybe it doesn't like land perfectly you know yeah. it doesn't uh, I, I I would agree with that uh which and you have like I think it's latest movie Unstoppable yeah it's just like a perfect uh B movie yeah in the best yeah. way you know no no yes. just like hit the ground running, no first act, kind of uh, efficient, uh, great story. You know? We gotta uh, stop the trade. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> yeah. No, and I, it's unstoppable, so it's it not. Is. That's right. <laughs> How do we know that? It's the title. Um, yeah, no, I, I love him. I, I, he yeah. seems to be getting his due more, more and more these days, but uh, yeah. Unfortunately, he's not here to see it. Yeah, yeah, uh, yes. That's sad. Hey, we just want to take a break from this conversation with Escovote and give a shout out to our sponsors, MoviesUnlimited.com. They're the movie collector's website. They're not only huge fans of our show, but they feature many of the movies we discuss here, so you can easily find them to add to your collection. Sure, you can stream a lot of stuff these days, but when you buy your favorites, you watch what you want, when you want, and there's usually a ton of great content and bonus features, director's commentary, deleted scenes, all sorts of stuff. Uh, and they don't just uh, freeze up and stop moving when your Wi-Fi gets a little funky. Click the Movies Unlimited banner on the Trailers from Hell website and buy your favorites from hard-to-find films, imports, and more. Go now to MoviesUnlimited.com, the movie collector's website, where shipping is always free on orders over $50. Movies, movies, movies. That's what we love, and that's why you're here. 
Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Um, shall, we, shall we dip into the, uh, the, the let's, let's, um, let's travel into slightly more erudite turf. Uh, how about Providence? Which oh, I've not seen yeah. in 10,000 years. But you've seen it. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. And I'm sure Joe, I mean, Joe, of course. Is. I've seen it, but not for a long time. It's, uh, I mean, I think I'm one of the few people in the world who thinks that's a very funny comedy. I laugh a lot uh, when I watch Providence, and it's okay. uh, uh, it's it's about uh, 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 an old cranky alcoholic uh, writer played by John Gilgood, right? Uh, and he uh, he just imagines these stories about characters that resemble a lot his family, and and you see fiction and reality mixing and he's getting drunker and drunker so he things started pop up in his fantasies that he don't want to be there and 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 i just i I just laugh i I think it's so inventive and so funny and so insightful and and uh and some people think it's the most pretentious movie ever made and i think no (laughs) he's having so much fun with this and 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 it was one of the main inspirations for my first movie as a writer and director called Blind, where, uh, where you kind of follow the interior life of a blind person. And, uh, and, and her, uh, when she hears something or she talks to someone, she has to imagine what makes that sound, what happens around her. And she starts to make up stories because she's sitting inside a lot. And, and it was very much inspired by by Providence, and uh, and I, I guess like uh, when my movie screened in Sundance, people called it a comedy, and when it screened in Berlin, they were saying very serious art film. So maybe it's the same with Providence. <laughs> it depends on on who's uh, watching. Context is everything, man. Yeah, uh, yeah. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, but I it's, uh, it's uh, I think it's Alarene's only English language movie, uh, and I don't know who distributes it or if it exists on physical media or whatever. But it just feels like. It must be it should be out there. It's a unique movie. There's no other movie like Providence. I would imagine it's out there. Yeah. Are you, uh, Joe? Can you speak to that? It's it's being his only. Uh, I, as far as I know, yeah. But I I think I think Criterion has it. I hope they do. I don't. Yeah, I don't think so. But they, they have some Alarne movies. So yeah, yeah let's I hope they have. Yeah. Um, uh, but here here's one that. Here's why I know Criterion does have finally, uh, I think on Blu-ray even, um, uh, Mishima, Paul Schrader's. Yes. Glorious, stunningly visual uh, piece of work. It's uh, uh, Mishima. I mean, uh, it, it's of course based on the uh, writer's life, but also his fiction. Yeah? So, so you have those, uh, I think it's called Life in Four Chapters. So you have that yeah. kind of, so you have, Mishima preparing his kind of coup suicide intercut with those four chapters uh, from his uh, novels filmed in very different styles. And I think it's what the first time Philip Glass made that score, he felt that he made it a lot of times since, you know, that the wonderful score. That's that, sure. Uh, yeah. Has, oh, it's uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, amazing music, you know, and, uh, and, uh, I, I saw Paul Schrader, uh, I'm a big fan of him, his, uh, but I also love the way that I think he made a top 10 for like a British uh, sight and sound or someone, and he put Mishima on 
his own top 10. His own film? Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's, and I went, yeah, way to go, Paul. I, I think that's uh, no false modesty here. And I, I think uh, it, it is kind of a groundbreaking movie. And it was very influential. And Joachim and I talk a lot about it. It has that kind of uh, Bertolucci kind of camera movements mm-hmm. and stylized uh, traveling shots. Uh, and it has like influence from performance by Nicholas Rogue and in, in some of the visual ideas. And it, but it's still a very unique movie. Again, there's only one movie like that. There's yeah. just, uh, it, it doesn't, uh, that, that's, I, I feel so inspired when I see something unique something that's uh, just a movie that has its own kind of structure, its own kind of logic, its own kind of visual style. And, and, uh, and that movie really has uh, something uh, going that, I mean, you, you, can't, you can't really compare it to much, you know? Yeah, no, I agree. And I, I can't, Joe, was, that a, was it a studio film? Was there some? Uh, was it Coppola? Oh, yeah, I, I think, think maybe yeah, I think I, maybe a couple of uh, at least financed or helped yeah, finance so. it. Yeah. yeah, that would make sense. Okay, because yeah. feels like even even then it feels like that might be a bit much for a studio to get behind. But it's an amazing piece of work, and I just I always love when writers um, make such beautifully directed films. <laughs> <You know, it's, laughs> I bet you uh, it eliminates but, the middleman. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> But isn't it incredible that Paul Schrade is still making relevant movies? I mean, uh, yeah. he's, uh, he's, I mean, the card counter was very, very good. But I mean, First Reform really hit me hard when I saw it a few years ago. It's like, oh, this is, I mean, he's doing that kind of structure that he's been doing since Taxi Driver in a way, or, yeah. or Light Sleeper, or American Gigolo. But he's doing it in a way that you feel like he really has something to say. It's really, it feels important. Yeah, I, he's, uh, still, he's still driven, uh, it feels mm-hmm. like. And, you know, I look at something like, I mean, I love the card counter, um, but, but, you know, First Reformed is, mm-hmm. I mean, that feels like a movie for me. A very studied, very dedicated, but nonetheless young, angry man. It does not, it's not the kind of movie you look at and go, ah, some old guy made this. Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah. Which, yeah, no, he's he's still very interesting. Um, uh, let's 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 go to the master, shall we? Uh, you've got notorious here on your. That's I, I mean that's my favorite Hitchcock. That's my favorite Hitchcock. I, I I just also because of the casting, I can't think of a better cast than Ingrid Bergman and Cary Grant and Claude Rains and. And whoever the actress is who plays his mother, she, yeah. she nails it. She didn't make it, very you know? many movies, but she was a theater actress. But uh, but yeah. yeah, it's it's pretty it's a pretty amazing ensemble. And and also the way that those two, I mean, the villains are you completely understand them. You know, they're afraid. They they yeah. are afraid of of being killed. They are exposed. You understand their motivation. Uh, in in a weird way that you usually don't in those kind of, of movies, and you also have this perverse plot of Cary Grant kind of pimping out the woman he loves for for like uh, national security purposes, which is uh, it, it's it's so it's such a weird and wonderfully constructed story with that wonderful set piece around the key. The things that Hitchcock could do, you know, and yeah. and and uh, just purely visual. All the stakes are very clear to everyone, and you have this amazing suspense of like we're running low on champagne, you know? <laughs> uh, which yeah. just means that we have to go to the wine basement. Yes. In the wine basement, something's <laughs> happening that you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, he he could find suspense in places that you wouldn't think of, you know, which is, yeah. uh, which is so great when you have, e- even in a movie like Torn Curtain, which is not a great movie, but you have like That's some, some great moments. wonderful yeah. sequences, like, okay, they are on the bus uh, that runs uh, in front of the regular bus. So if that means if they are delayed and, uh, and the real bus catches up to them, 
they will be exposed. So you have like, you go in a normal tempo as a bus and you feel the other bus, oh, it's catching up and you have amazing suspense and you, and then who would think of that? You know, it's not, it's not a, it's not a normal kind of suspense situation of a car chase or running after one or someone who's going to kill you and you have to stop right. them. It's so, it's so original and it's so tense and it's so, uh, and the way of, of doing kind of Hitchcock suspense, I feel, I mean, uh, that's very inspiring to me. And maybe one of the things, reasons I did The Innocence is that I love that kind of suspense that instead of ramping up the action, uh, making everyone run in this last act uh, mm-hmm. or making the explosions louder and uh, the the music louder. Hitchcock goes the opposite. It's like, okay, it's high stakes. We cut the music. Yeah, silence. We, we slow down. And instead of you just being bombarded with stuff, you lean in. You understand, mm-hmm. oh, something's going to happen now. It, I think that kind of visual storytelling of doing it like one shot leading to another with that kind of of suspense, kind of a lost art. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, who's doing that? You know, maybe because it's not commercial anymore. I don't know, but it's uh, it's so involving, it's so visual, it's so cinematic, and uh, he was the master of that. Yeah, I I I don't know if anyone's doing that now it feels like they aren't um i also one of the things i love about that is, is some of the performances you i you're not used to seeing Cary grant uh with that that kind of dark side and being tormented and well he's unsympathetic and, almost the entire yeah. picture <laughs> yeah and you don't know and you don't that's one of the one of the, the joys of the movie is you don't know what to think about yeah. it yeah you know yeah and, and it's, think, yeah it's 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 it has complexity that uh, the average RKO picture at the time didn't have. Yeah, Cary Grant is. I think he has that his character. He's doing something. I mean, he's pushing Ingrid Bergman to sleep with the villain to to find out uh, because that's his job, and she doesn't want to do it, but she does it because she loves him. And he doesn't want her to do it. So he has contempt for her because she does what he tells her to do, which is a very <laughs> weird situation, but very yeah. human. I think yeah. it's, very, it's very real that people have those kind of complex feelings about stuff. So, so it, yeah, it has real depth of character. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, it is definitely one of my favorites. Um, how about Jacob's Ladder? That was I, I was I was surprised to see that one pop up. That hasn't popped up uh, on our show, by the way. It is not. It no is one not. has ever hasn't mentioned it. it. No. But uh, I mean, I I he just had a new movie now. I haven't seen it, but uh, right. I yes, Adrian Lyon. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm I'm he's not talked about that much. I, I'm even uh, not sure how to say his last name until you said it. Now, if it's Adrian <laughs> Lynn or Lyon, so now I know it's Lyon. It's Lyon. Joe, yeah. <laughs> but uh, you know, I think after Lolita that people stopped talking about him. <laughs> well, that was happening. <laughs> I guess making erotic thrillers uh, is more and more out of fashion in a way. I don't know, but but Jacob's Ladder kind of stands out in his uh, filmography. It's well, it's, it's certainly uh, not very erotic. <laughs> it's not very erotic. Yeah, I, I can't remember. It has some like sexual dark stuff in it, but it's not. It's kind of a kind of a nightmare it's uh it's 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 a very original nightmarish movie and i saw it a little bit too young probably that's why it just Mm. has settled in my brain but the visuals of it and uh uh and, and the way that tim robbins has an amazing performance holding it all together and uh and there's this just chinese box of what's real and what's imagination and it has it, it's uh it has this francis bacon like demons it has a uh very strong like audiovisual experience and i've seen it a lot of times i still don't get it i still don't understand <laughs> when did he die you know did, did he die during the vietnam war did he die later 
what's happening. I understand that this is some kind of fantasy while he's dying of demons trying to get him and maybe the demons are just trying to make him upset, accept that his life is over. But where is all this coming from? From what it doesn't bother me. I, I'm along for the ride and I enjoy trying to figure it out. And I don't know, uh, it should be a movie that people talk about because there's so many visual ideas in it, you know? It's it just, uh, uh, it's really uh, well made. And I think this is the first time Francis Bacon has been name checked on our show. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not the last. Yeah. <laughs> I also feel it was, it was a, uh, uh, what's his name? Bruce, Bruce Joel Rubin wrote it. And, and I feel like that was a, uh, I don't mean it's a bad way. He wrote a lot of movies about death. I mean, not in which people die, but in which death is in different. I mean, he wrote Ghost. Um, and there's a, it was the Michael Keaton movie where the, the guy's sort of just getting ready to die and so forth. And it just felt like, um, I guess, an interesting creative obsession, if not a completely depressing one. Well, yeah, but yeah, commercial in the case of Ghost, though. You know, right? yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was, I guess he, he, he did have some hits, too. That's the crazy yeah. thing. <laughs> but, it's, it's, a hard, it's a hard theme to sell, I guess. Yeah, this movie about death. You know, yeah. It, uh, well, yeah. We, we tried to undersell that aspect of worst person in the world, kind of. We, uh, we, we, I think we managed to, yeah. uh, oh, to sure. hide the fact that it's about death. But uh, yeah, I think it's always about death. Isn't it, Josh? Uh, <laughs> I suppose, yeah. Although Russ Meyer might disagree, but uh, <laughs> yeah, this, um, well, let's go out. Uh, uh, I think I've said this before on the show. Um, my my either favorite or second favorite movie from this filmmaker, depending on what kind of Paul Schrader mood I'm in. But uh, the Dead Zone. Yes, uh, that is a wonderful film. I I I. I kind of reference it in the opening of the incense just so I the titles with the Michael Kamen music I mean the uh, usually Cronenberg works with Howard Shore and then I think it's right. the only score that came in it it's a wonderful score and it's so lush and beautiful and this is my favorite Stephen King adaptation yes. uh, you know with uh, it's just and it's the one where you feel it's a great book with a great idea but uh, but Cronenberg and Jeffrey Bond, they, they improved it. They yeah, improved, I mean, I think the, the, uh, yeah. very much so. Yep, especially mm -hmm. the, the, I think we've talked about it. Maybe we talked about this in the show. The, the, we have, yeah. Yeah, the ending of making the child that Martin Sheen holds up, the kid who essentially would have been his had he not had his life stolen is so poignant. Yeah, it's um, so poignant. And, and uh, just devastating. Yeah. It's, it's another Cronenberg movie that ends with a woman wailing over a, a guy dying. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a trope with him. But it's my favorite, um, uh, with, with all due respect to uh, History of Violence, it's my favorite Cronenberg <laughs> movie. History of Violence is great as well. Now, no, I, uh, uh, I think that idea of being the crazy guy wanting to kill the future president, I mean, it's not an idea that has lost relevance yeah. <laughs> since Stephen King wrote it. <laughs> Yeah. Or since Trump was elected, <laughs> yeah, and and that uh, and that idea of just completely identifying with the crazy person, and yeah. just being on his side, yeah. and knowing that he'll he'll end up being perceived as that, but he has saved the world, you know. Yeah, <laughs> it's so well done. It's so well acted. It's so well shot, and and uh, and uh, it has like. It has that scissor kind of suicide, that's kind of like the Cronenberg moment in it, but it's still just a very, in a way, more of a mainstream movie, I guess, than what very he did so. just yeah. before that. Yeah. But well, it's also, it's, 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 I mean, yeah, that, that sequence you talk about is in the middle of Cronenberg. It's almost a short film within the film, uh, the Tom Skerritt cop thing where he's solving that. And uh, yeah, there's there's one scene in it which um, I'm I'm positive was put in by the studio that that makes me nuts where uh uh it was a martin sheen and the editor of the newspaper and it's the yeah. only time you see martin sheen without the main character being there and it's not one of the visions he has and it's almost like they were afraid to let it ride they almost felt like no we need to tell you objectively this guy is really bad and we're like we've seen he's really bad we 
we're inside Christopher Walken's head. We understand. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, but that's, I, I'm, I'm sure that was Dino De Laurentiis. So, was, yeah, somebody somebody you know, forced that on them. But but I think considering that he was working for Dino, who was uh, you know not easy to work for, uh, it, it's it's a it's it's also one of Dino De Laurentiis' best movies for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but you know, it's Stephen King had the uh, future president kill a dog in the opening of the book. So you know they they are. Uh, just to be sure everyone knows that he's bad. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But 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 you're very right to point out that scene. I was thinking last time I saw it was like, this perspective change is not like perfect. It kind of signals that we're in a new phase of the movie, that something like, okay, now we go in this way now. You know, it yeah. expands the scope of the story. So it kind of works, but it's uh, like you said, it's like we should have kept closer to the Christopher Walken character. Well, it is well, kind, it's it's kind of episodic, the, the, the yeah. way it's told. You know, yeah. It's almost little, little pieces with different groups of, of characters. It is, yeah. Yeah, but it all, yeah, all kind of building up to that thing that comes back to it. But it is, I will say that scene is modular. You can, you can just cut it and, and you're fine. <laughs> no, that's true. Uh, but, but what I think, feel also about the great thing about the episodic structure is that you have that thing with uh, coma. And uh, the fact that he, in the like opening, after like five minutes or so, you feel he has this strong relationship. Uh, uh, Brooke Adams is that her name? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yes. yeah. yeah. Yes. Uh, uh, and then he 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 uh, has this car accident, ends up in a coma, and you have that ellipsis of cinema, you know. And, and for him, it's the day after, and she's moved on. She has uh, another husband, and and that scene that they have when they spend just one day together, yes. and she she just okay, let's just consume what we had and and didn't consume at the time, and just have sex and hang out, and then they say goodbye. I mean, you don't expect something that touching and true that has nothing to do with the main plot of of killing the president it's just yeah. character moments and it's beautiful it's beautiful well, it, it, yeah and it just it does feed your your i mean it does end in that moment you know it just makes you feel all the more what he's going through i think but you're right and somehow that having his father there for that um kind of as a witness to when she comes to visit and he knows what's going yes. on and they've already established mm-hmm. these are i think are they like fundamentalist christians or something and and the fact that his father completely understands what they're doing is completely supportive and warm and understanding of it is just, yeah, it's an incredibly human moment. People are always given David kind of, I think a lot of people think his movies are cold, but I think you're always going to find that kind of, you know, there are all those moments of real emotion that are just overwhelming. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, yeah I mean, it is. It's very touching. And, uh, and like you said, that the, fact, uh, the fact that when people are good to each other in a surprising way, it's it's so nice to see, especially in that kind of context of a very grim story yeah. of self sacrifice and and uh, and kind of having a curse, you know, that you're yeah you're, yeah yeah. I mean, the world may be cruel, but people don't have to be, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, Eskel, man, thank you so much for coming on, man. We're really really psyched to have you on. The movie is The Innocents. It's out this week. It's in uh, selected theaters and um, um, on demand, I guess, and. Uh, all, all the places you see movies these days, uh, which would take an hour to list, I suppose. But um, thank you. No, what I'll say, I, I don't think uh, we covered any of the same chart for Joaquin. So you, you, you've done good, sir. <laughs> <laughs> it's been um, great to be on and I, uh, been great to talk to you guys. Yeah. And what's just tell me real quick, uh, what's next? Do you know, or are you? Uh... I wish I did. You know, I, I'm a. Uh... Uh, I feel like, oh, people are so interested now and the doors are open and what's your next project or whatever. And I should have had like three scripts under my arm passing and I have nothing. <laughs> you know, I just, need, I just need time now to watch movies and read books and be bored and come up with something. You got to recharge your batteries. You just, recharge you just, the batteries, you just yes. spend a lot of time on a picture and you know, it's, it, you know what it's like. It's, it's, it consumes you. Yeah, it does. It does. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you understand. <laughs> Great. Well, Bye. thank you very much. Man. Good luck with the film. Thank you. Our show was recorded from several well-stocked bunkers. 
we can't wait to get back to beautiful downtown Burbank. We're the official podcast of TrailersFromHell.com, the best damn movie website there is. Our engineer is the composer Don Barrett, who also transmogrified, produced, and created our theme song. This is Josh Olson for the Movies That Made Me. Stay safe out there, folks. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.